Hey, this is Chase Masterson, host of the hit Discovery podcast, Disco Nights. Star Trek Discovery may not be back till next year, but rest assured, Disco Nights will be back this fall to talk the new Star Trek Picard series, as well as everything we hope and expect from Season 3 of Discovery, plus some other special surprises. Join me and our special guests when we return with all new episodes this August. Until then, Disco Lives! Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. You know what's going on? Yes, sir. No, I don't think you do. Let me explain it to you. If we launch, and we're wrong, what's left of Russia is going to launch at us. There will be a nuclear holocaust beyond imagination. So it's all about knowing, Mr. Bosler. We have to know whether or not our order to launch has been recalled or not. The only way we're going to know is if you fix that radio. You understand? Yes, sir. You ever watch Star Trek? Star Trek. You know Star Trek and USS Enterprise. All right. You remember when the Klingons were going to blow up the Enterprise and Captain Kirk calls down to Scotty? He says, Scotty, I got to have more power. He needs more, more, more speed. More speed, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm Captain Kirk. You're Scotty. I need more power. I'm telling you, if you do not get this radio up, a billion people are going to die. Now, it's all up to you. I know that's a shitty deal, but you got it. Can you handle it? Scotty. Captain. Welcome to a very controversial episode, a very special <laughs> episode of Inglorious We'll see if it's Trexperts. controversial. We are going to talk about how to save the Star Trek movie franchise. So you say we're going to concentrate more on the movies then? <laughs> yes. That's a deep cut. <laughs> That's, That's what I'm going to say. And to help us explore <laughs> this very sensitive subject, we have uh, two of our favorite returning guests are, are back. Um, you know him as a uh, writer, producer, commentator, YouTube commentator, uh, editor, uh, rancateur, um, uh, the director of uh, Free Enterprise, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary um, this year. Not. Surely not. <laughs> Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett is back. Well, thank you for having me back. It's it's great to be part of this inglorious podcast. <laughs> there you go. And getting more inglorious all the time. Uh, also uh, rejoining us, uh, he was a uh, writer-producer on Star Trek Voyager, on Enterprise. Uh, he co-created the hit uh, TNT series Perception, had lunch with Eric McCormick the other day, as we just learned. Um, <laughs> Mr. Michael Sussman is back. Hey, how you guys doing? We are delightful because we're talking about a subject that we all feel very passionate about. You know, we say how to save the Star Trek movie franchise. This is a franchise that's in need of saving. We'll talk about that. But the reason that what provoked this sort of conversation was it's well known uh, that um, the, uh, the, the the negotiations for um, Star Trek 
uh, Mark II four. Because right. I don't want to call it Star Trek four. Because when I hear Star Trek four, no. I think of the voyage home. Right. So I don't know what you JJ four. Let's call it JJ four. It's Star Trek two point four. Star Trek two point. Uh, <laughs> God, it's so confusing. So whatever. The fourth film in the JJ saga right. hit a speed bump um, because. Uh, Chris Pine, who who's an A-list actor, and Chris Hemsworth, who's an A-plus actor, um, uh, basically um, don't want to work for less than their quote. Right. Completely understandable. And as a result, uh, um, you know, move, the movie uh, has sort of, uh, you know, has, has a, a, a ceiling of a budget, and uh, Paramount doesn't want to spend, uh, meet their quote. And uh, right now, the movie is in a state of permanent hibernation. Right. Could come back. We don't know. But uh, right now, it looks like it's off the table. And so nothing's really happening with the Star Trek movie franchise to the best of our knowledge. Right. Um, and, of course, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about why that's the case. And then there's that thing that we've been hearing on and off again for uh, about a year or two now, the mysterious Quentin Tarantino Star Trek right. project. So The big what, question of Q. What will happen with Q? Yes. <laughs> yes. What will happen from the Q continuum? Uh, will, you know, will, will, will Q make it back uh, in time? So... I want to ask you guys, sort of set the table for us, if you will. Where do you see, what is the state? If you were, you know, Professor Burnett uh, and your student is the Star Trek movie franchise, <laughs> how would you grade it and where does it need improvement and what do you think it could do to write, its sh- write the ship? Well, <clears throat> I think the problem with the J.J. era Star Trek movies, beginning with Star Trek 09, is that they have not returned the profits based on how much money was expended to make them. It's a simple, to me, it's a simple mathematical equation. Uh, Especially Into Darkness was a hideously expensive film. Uh, And to market the film, uh, you're you're looking at around $300 million total with a worldwide gross of less than $500 million. And when you're dealing with venerable franchise properties, whether it's the MCU, whether it's Transformers, whether it's uh, Star Wars, even Jumanji, is is a close to a billion dollar franchise now, and and so should Star Trek, or or maybe it shouldn't be, but the idea that they expended as much money as they did to make these three films, which were leagues above how much it costs to make any of the classic or next generation Star Trek movies, put those movies at a, at an extreme disadvantage because there was this perception that Star Trek was just like any other franchise. We can revitalize it. We can spend $200 million We can rebuild it. Movies. Right. We can do, rebuild do, it. And, do, and do. Star Trek is never that way. The same, the same thing happened, I hate to say it, but another great example is what happened to Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. which was a, an incredible film that I, that I loved. But it cost $170 million plus dollars, and it, it did not return what the studio wanted it to return. What Star Trek has to do is it has to understand what it is. Right. And and Star Trek has always been sort of a niche. It is not a mass market franchise the way these other franchises are. It's never been a mass market franchise. It always was a franchise that needs to be uh, creatively approached so you're not spending the same amount of money that you're going to spend on a Transformers movie or an MCU movie or Let a Harry Let me unpack a little of what you said because you made so many great points here. And I think for the benefit of our audience, let's take them back in history a little bit. Um, if you look at the history of the Star Trek movie franchise, mm-hmm. um, you had a movie that was um, very, very expensive for a, a multitude of reasons, um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Right. And if, by many, it was not considered a success because even though it had staggeringly high grosses, right. it also had a staggeringly high budget for the reasons we've discussed sure. in the past. Um, as a result, 
Star Trek II was produced under the aegis of the TV division for theatrical release, um, but it was a way to reduce the cost. It was an extremely uh, cheap movie, even at the time, even in 1982. It was under $15 million, the budget, depending on who you ask. Yeah, 12 and a half, something like yeah, that. And, and, and uh, did about 70 or 80, which is a great return on their investment. Absolutely. Huge, huge success in, in, in 1982. Star Trek III was barely any cheaper. And it looks cheap. We'll talk about that in another episode. But um, but Star Trek Three also very successful. Not quite as successful mm-hmm. as Star Trek II. Cost a little more, made a little less, but still very successful. Even start by the time you get to Star Trek Four and Star Trek Five and Star Trek Six, these are not expensive movies. Why is that? Because Star Trek had no value foreign. Right. Um, basically, it had to earn out domestically because. Star Trek w- w- did not have a big market in, certainly there was no China market at the time. It didn't have a big market in the UK, Germany, all the Japan. These are all big uh, foreign territories where Star Trek did not really resonate in a big in a big way. I mean, even when they tried with Star Trek Four, they had the little introduction, uh, sure. which sort of brought, they called it the voyage home overseas and didn't bring Star Trek. And then they introduced you through this little cliff notes as to what was going on mm-hmm. because they thought this was the most accessible and then maybe it would find a whole new audience abroad. It did not. Um, but it was hugely successful here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Probably adjusted for inflation, I imagine, perhaps the most successful Star Trek movie of all time. Um, not quite. Almost. But adjusted for inflation, Star Trek One? it's still the motion picture. Yeah, interesting. And um, so then you get to... The uh, you know, and then you you obviously get the next generation uh, series, mm-hmm. uh, which starts uh, with generations, which did which did well, did okay. but 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 it was an expensive expensive movie. Right. Um, First Contact, which did very well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, by the time you get to uh, you know Insurrection, uh, not so well, and the, the Nemesis was a boondoggle, right? Uh, a much more expensive picture that completely underperformed, and probably maybe the only Star Trek movie that ever lost money, I believe. Mm. Um, and uh, or uh, well, we'll get to the next one, uh, and then of course, many years later, you had reinvented under the age of Bad Robot, but things were very different. It was no longer a cheap show, a uh, cheap movie. It was never longer the bastard child of uh, Paramount, where you just count on it making a certain amount of money. It was a list all the way, a list budgets, a list everything. Um, I mean, and by you know before you even roll an inch of film. I'm not literally roll film because it's digital, but roll an inch of film. Uh, Bad Robots taking about $10 million, you know, above the line. Right, off the uh, top. Off the top. So these are not cheap pictures anymore. So you have to earn, it has to work foreign, mm-hmm. which was a huge uh, pressure on the studio for Star Trek um, t- uh, 2009, mm-hmm. um, where they were trying to introduce Star Trek overseas in a big way. Most of the marketing and publicity, they, they were sending the cast, they were sending the producers all over the world to really uh, get the world excited about Star Trek. Right. And anyway, that brings us to today. So now we have a very expensive movie franchise, each movie costing more than the one before it. And the reality is Star Trek Beyond uh, underperformed in a big way. Right. It did not do extremely well at the box office. It was an expensive picture to make. It was a troubled picture in development. If you remember, mm-hmm. Bob Orsi had developed it. Um, he was booted from the series, and then they quickly you know, had Simon Pegg and his writing partner, Doug Jong, do another script, and it was thrown into production um, and, and came out and, and didn't particularly do well. Although I will say a lot of fans, that's their favorite of the J.J. movies. Uh, I don't think any of us would agree, but, but anyway. So that brings us to today, Star Trek Four. The budget's been cut. They can't afford this pricey cast, and they're at a stalemate. Bridge is smashed. The computer's inoperative. Now what? So, Michael, I ask you, what do you think of the state of the Star Trek movie franchise? Um, 
I'm going to say something. I don't know if this is controversial, but you know, <laughs> I, I wonder you know, Star Trek being a TV property. The, the question I I find myself asking is: Should there be a Star Trek movie franchise? Right. Um, uh, I think people forget who you know are not of our advanced years, and you know, watch the original series. <laughs> what uh, do you mean? In the, <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up on it in, in the 70s, and uh, I remember that very frustrating moment when I realized there were no more new episodes, and it was just those 79 and okay, right. or some animated shows. Um, and that feeling of having been robbed of the final two years of the Enterprise's five-year mission, mm-hmm. and I feel like there was a whole generation of fans and viewers who felt that, and... Uh, you know, Star Trek at the time could have almost came back as a, as a TV series. But I think the, the, that pent-up 10-year, what's next, what's next, we haven't had that that feeling since. There has been so much Star Trek. And, of course, those original characters who we love, once they made a film, which, you know, was successful to a certain degree, we were only now going to see them in feature films every two or three years, and we get to revisit those characters right. in, a, in a new adventure. And, you know... I think they did something very smart by bringing Har Bennett in and the whole TV division kind of taking things over and doing things as cheaply as possible. Star Trek II certainly didn't look cheap. I remember you know, being blown away by the visuals. Um, whether you can do that today on that kind of Well, the budget. thing is they did have the benefit of having all the stuff developed for the motion picture right. being reused. All the sets, yeah. Yeah. So that was a big chunk. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, honestly, I don't, and I'm you know I'm a, I'm a bigger fan I think of Star Trek 09 than perhaps you guys are. I know if I you know that much is certain. <laughs> if I meet someone who uh, doesn't you know know a whole lot about Star Trek or maybe he's never seen it, that mm-hmm. is the film I will show them as a as an introduction to it. Um, and and I think it is a good introduction to it. I, I think there's certainly issues with with the later films, but uh, you know at least what that movie did, it showed us. It didn't necessarily show us the Shatner Nimoy origin story. It showed us, you know, the the Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto uh, story, which which is fine. But we had never seen that Kirk Spock origin story or a version of it before, yeah. and so that was fresh. Uh, and we haven't they, there hasn't been a story that equally compelling. And that was a story that was kicked around, as you well know, Mark, sure. for you know many years uh, in various forms. But we finally got to see that. Um, they haven't been able to come up with as compelling a notion. Uh, and now maybe the Quentin Tarantino project has got a really, it sounds like it's something he's been noodling for a long time. So maybe there is a, a really cool, high concept, character Star Trek story that right. he's working on. I, I really hope so. I'd love to see that. Um, but it's it's kind of a, a weird position to be in. You, you look at franchises that have faltered, say, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Um when they decided that those were not successful anymore, they cleaned house right. and brought in and rebooted the whole thing. It seems to be kind of weird. It, it seems very weird to me that we're in a situation where the last film did not do great, and yet we're still no, – no one seems to be talking about rebooting it, at least right now. And I'm not saying they should, but uh, it, it's just a it's, a it's a very weird thing to continue an underperforming franchise with – all of the same. Well, and with an expensive cast. Yeah. Whether you love these casts or not. And I think they're great. I, and they, I, Look, and I, let's say that they are great, right? Um, they're very expensive. Zoe Saldana is in two of the biggest franchises on the planet. So getting her, her availability, you know, Avatar and Guardians of the Galaxy is very limited. You know, Chris Pine is, you know, huge movie star. Sure. Um, uh, you know, Zachary Quinto works consistently. Um, you know, obviously Simon Pegg. Uh, so it's like, 
these are all actors who are in demand, who are expensive. So if you're going to do Star Trek, maybe there is value in rebooting. Plus, the most expensive person of all is Bad Robot, you know, who you're paying a lot of money. And, you know, exactly, you know, what what do they bring to the table? We don't know exactly. Um, but that was not the case with Harv Bennett or, you know, even Rick Berman, where you had, a, you know, he made a, a lot of money, but it wasn't the kind of money that they're paying you know, a bad robot to, to sort of develop these things. And then you have a, a co-investor in Spyglass, uh, not Spyglass, in Skydance um, that, you know, is assuming a lot of the, the risk is all. You make a great point, though. You know, for a lot of people, the, the new franchise is their Star Trek. It was a very effective gateway drug to introducing Star Trek to people who maybe didn't like Star Trek or weren't interested in Star Trek. Um, and does Star Trek even belong when you have a TV series, whether you love uh, Discovery or not, there's no arguing that the production values you know, it's an expensive show. It looks expensive. It looks like production values are, are feature quality. And in fact, the production values blow away the production values of anything in kind of the original Star Trek movies. So, um, you know, is Star Trek really a TV property? Does it even have a future in well, movies? Well, when each episode is, you know, the cost of Star Trek II, mm-hmm. that gets to be, uh, you know, it better look good. Uh, well, I, 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 here's where I think that they should do. Here's what I don't understand. Since 2009, since Bad Robot's stewardship of the franchise, they've gone backwards. Star Trek, for the time that we we all grew up knowing it and loving it, evolved and moved forward. For 40 years, you went from the series to the motion picture, where they kept in real time, they, they added to the mythology by showing our, our venerable characters get older. Then they created a show that was 100 years, well, 80-some-plus years in the future with Next Generation. We got Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. We got Voyager, and then we went back and, and had Enterprise, which was a prequel, but was also sort of a uh, – it was still a reinvention with new characters, new situations. So Star Trek always moved forward. When Bad Robot took over, they, for the first time, went back and tried to reinvent what Star Trek was from, from the roots, from its core. But what they didn't do was reinvent Star Trek – as a feature film concept from the get-go. So I think what they should do with Star Trek is honor the continuum that they've created and create a feature film franchise that is all new. New characters, new situations that is designed to work in the format of a two-hour feature film. The same way that, look at Guardians of the Galaxy. We didn't know who these people were. Mm-hmm. We didn't know those characters, unless you'd read the comics, but most moviegoers didn't. Right. They hire a visionary like James Gunn and, and uh, uh, Nicole Perlman, who also co-wrote an early version of that script. They came in, they created an entirely new character set of characters, people we'd never met before. A crew, a crew that now worked together that became beloved within a two-hour period of time. Mm-hmm. What you do is you take the Star Trek continuum, you utilize the very ideas, the whole maybe the whole idea of the Kennedy Camelot, and you move that idea forward, the very essence of what Star Trek is, and you create brand new characters and brand new situations within the world and the universe that Star Trek offers, but it's something film-going audiences have never seen before. They're not old characters reinvented. This is something that is brand new, that is created for the audiences of today, the same way that James Gunn created the Guardians of the Galaxy for the MCU. And you create something that audiences can call their own, something they've never seen before, and yet it's still recognizably Star Trek. That's what I would do. Look, it's a great, you know, it's a great point. And um, it was something that the studio had, had tried a, and had abandoned with Star Trek The Beginning. Um, you know, the script uh, 
from uh, Band of Brothers, a screenwriter, um, Eric Jendrensen, that he had developed and, and uh, would have, you know, sort of been an original crew, an original take on Star Trek. Uh, obviously, the Starfleet Academy idea had been explored in the Academy years by David Lowry, um, which didn't get made, you know, prior to Star Trek VI. Um, it's, it's, it's very, you know, it's very interesting, but I think that, you know, you're dealing with a lot of studio executives, a lot of people, all they know about Star Trek is Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. As popular as Next Generation was, Popular some of the subsequent years. It seems like that is those are the characters that have permeated the zeitgeist yes. that are in popular culture. Everyone knows Kirk and Spock. And so if you're gonna go to a broad audience, broad mainstream audience, it, it seems like this constant desire to revisit Kirk and Spock. It's the same reason you want Luke and Han and Leia in in Star Wars. You know, it's your security. <laughs> yeah. It's your it's your your security blanket. And uh, the, you know, there's a risk. Well, why? You know, if we we do a movie without any of the characters, people know where they. Why? Why are they going to come? And and it, it, it's a lack of faith, I think, in the property, and uh, and it's a lack of understanding of the and property. a lack of understanding the appeal of the property. Because I think, and we've talked about this in the past, who's the biggest star of Star Trek? It's not Shatner. It's not Leonard. It's not Patrick. It's the Enterprise. Right. And we haven't seen the Enterprise, and you know, in a long time, as the centerpiece of any of these shows. Um, the Enterprise has become expendable. In every episode. Yeah, how many times have we blown up the Enterprise now? There's a couple of YouTube videos uh, showing all the explosions right. of the Enterprise. I mean... I, I blew up twice, I think. I mean, you remember... <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about this when we talk about Star Trek Three. I mean, then it was such a novel concept. It was so impactful. Oh, my God, they destroyed the Enterprise. Right. Spoiler alert. But... Um, it was in the trailer. But the... That's true. It was in the trailer. And... Uh, but the... Um, but, you know, now it's like how many... You know, it's like, did they... Destroy in a cool way, or did they destroy in a lame way? Did it crash into a jungle? Um, you know, so uh, it's interesting. Now it's sort of become de rigor to destroy the Enterprise. And unfortunately, you know, sort of Star Trek Beyond makes the same mistake that uh, uh, Star Trek Four made, which is this like, okay, we're going to, you know, we destroy the Enterprise, but we're going to give it back to you really quickly right. so you don't miss it. You know, well, uh, yeah, you, they try to they try to have both sides of the coin at the same time. And it was so funny because I thought at the end of Beyond, I was like, okay, they destroyed the Enterprise, great. Now they can redesign it. They can come up with a good design. Uh, I'm really, I guess, there's some goods coming out. And at the end of the movie, they do that whole time. It's, it's exactly it's, it's the same. same, and it's exactly the same ship. It's like, oh god. Well, I think it's a little bit different, but in the but Enterprise changed not enough. Well, fair enough. But the Enterprise changed between the second and third JJ movie when they. Because it was supposed to have been like it was totally refit at the end. It was practically destroyed, right at the end of uh, Into Darkness. Into Darkness, right, 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 sure. And then we we saw it, and it had like I don't know, new engines or something, and it flies away. And then we see it in the next movie, and it looks totally different all over again. The engines are streamlined, and because he had a new director, and it's easy, you know, you, you don't. It's have like to how spend... the bridge changed in all the original movies, because you know, whenever it was new director, they want to change the bridge, right, the bridge. interior, right, right. Yes. Why is there a man in that torpedo? There are men and women in all those torpedoes, Captain. I put them there. Who the hell are you? A remnant of a time long past. Genetically engineered to be superior so as to lead others to peace in a world at war. But we were condemned as criminals, forced into exile. For centuries we slept, hoping when we awoke things would be different. But as a result of the destruction of Vulcan, your Starfleet began to aggressively search distant quadrants of space. My ship was found adrift. I alone was revived. I looked up John Harrison. 
Until a year ago, he didn't exist. John Harrison was a fiction created the moment I was awoken by your Admiral Marcus to help him advance his cause. A smokescreen to conceal my true identity. My name is Khan. Uh, so I know if, if they actually do make this fourth movie in that timeline, I have very little doubt that whatever director comes in will be of like, course. want to put, and we'll say it's the same ship. Well, this whole idea as though this fourth movie needs to be the time travel, Chris Hemsworth, mm-hmm. you know, it, that was a rejected concept by the studio. I mean, it's so interesting because that was the original concept that uh, uh, J.D. Payne and uh, his writing partner were working on for Star Trek uh, with Orsi for, mm-hmm. for, for Star Trek Beyond that got jettisoned because the studio didn't like it. Right. You know, and then now it's, it's, it's sort of like they're trying to recycle it and make this the next movie. Well, maybe if it wasn't good enough then, why is it good enough now? I think it's just like Chris Hemsworth's a big star. People love me. He's Thor. Right. We got to bring him back. Right. We discovered him. You know, it's like, but you don't. You don't need to. Well, I mean, Going from the going from the assumption that um, uh, studio people have valid um, needs and they know, you know, sort of in this day and age, how to get people butts in seats, um, going to someone like Chris Hemsworth is a valid choice. Whether or not the the frame they put around him is reasonable and fits within the framework of everything else, that's the big question. But Going with someone who is a bankable movie star, for whatever that means today, yeah, right. um, that's a reasonable assumption. It's an insurance policy. Of course. But it also increases your budget dramatically. Sure it does, but it, also, but it also gets investors more interested than they were before. Well, and, and that's something Paramount's desperately in need of. Indeed. This is a studio in financial... They've just been, you know, imploding on themselves. Yeah. Um, but you know the, the the thing that's 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 remained out there, you know, on the distant fringes of space <laughs> is uh, is this Quentin Tarantino, um, you know the you know not I wouldn't say a rumor, but the fact that Quentin expressed interest, Bad Robot right. jumped at it. Um, it's been a polarizing thing, I think, among fans. Um, but you know, it's an, it seems inevitable that this will you know happen, and you know, I certainly can see, you know. The actors taking a, a hit on their quote on their on their salary to work with Quentin, whereas they wouldn't do it to work with Nicole Perlman. Not Nicole Perlman. Uh, who, uh, who they the, the director they hired for? Um, oh yeah, I forget her name. Yeah, you know, which is you know, it's okay. You can you want to work with this TV director or you know Quentin? It's like one thing to do you know number four mm-hmm. in the Star Trek series, you know, where it doesn't do anything for their careers. Suddenly you're working with Quentin Tarantino. They'll work for scale. Right. You know, it's like what it used to be like to work for Woody Allen. You know, you work for scale to work with a great director. Um, Do we so, even know that the Clinton film was going to feature those characters? We Is don't. That... Other than, you know, a few interviews that Simon Pegg and, and, right. and other people said, oh, yeah, he wants to work with us. Although you can never quite trust actors because right. they always try and position it in their favor, you know. Right. To, so uh, uh, let's talk about, you know, look, Rob, obviously, we, you know, one of the things why I'm so in favor of the Quentin film is because we know what a passionate fan he is of Star Trek. He's a genuine fan. He's not somebody who's slumming, who's like, I really like Star Wars, but I'll do Star Trek. You right. know, he, and you know, 20 years ago at the Hawaii Film Festival, 
We spent hours with him <laughs> yes, talking did. about Star Trek after we debuted Free Enterprise there. And he and, knew all of Shatner's lines from our movie by seeing it once. And, and even in that conversation, we've both seen him subsequently, but, but I'll always remember that. Huge Star Trek fan. And genuinely loves the franchise and loves the Captain Kirk, which is another reason why I'm not sure it is the Kelvin Universe cast that he ultimately wants. No, I mean, I think, look, Quentin Tarantino's strength is is creating these indelible characters. I mean, they walk on the screen the first time they open their mouths, the dialogue they're, they're saying immediately endears those characters to the audience. I mean, the way he tells a story... Uh, whether you you think he's a he takes all the genres and makes these pastiches, it's it's undeniable that his his ability to be evocative and his characters to be evocative is, is immediate and and it is wildly entertaining. But they're also just this side of parody. Sure, no, a- a- absolutely. There's 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 no doubt about Quentin Tarantino. You're getting something that is very stylized, and yes. I don't necessarily know if Quentin Tarantino is the best person to do a Star Trek movie for that very reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we look at I, I think our vision, especially the fans' vision of Star Trek, and I consider myself as one of these people. We hold it to be almost holy, religious in nature. We have a very, very distinct image very in our minds. Connection very it. personal connection to Star Trek, and it is it is. It is really, it comes down to that Camelot, Kennedy, America, colonialism, this vision of that maybe is a bit out of time and certainly today perhaps out of step with the times mm-hmm. that we love. And that's what we want. Quentin Tarantino is not going to be, he's going to be irreverent about Star Trek. And perhaps I would be more interested in seeing what he would bring to the franchise because whatever he's going to do is going to shake up our immediate, uh, he, he would shake up our notions of what Star Trek is but I don't think we would hate what he did. I think we would look at it and find it the same way we all love and embrace Galaxy Quest. He's going to give us, he's going to give us uh, the Inglorious Bastards version or the Django Unchained version of Star Trek that we didn't know we needed. See, but I'll I bet we love. I slightly disagree with that. I kind of feel that he understands, you know, the 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 text of this, the holy text, and reveres it. And I kind of feel as though he will adapt to what Star Trek is. Rather than try and adapt Star Trek to Quentin, he will adapt to Star Trek. And, you know, he said in interviews long before he was ever considered for this project, I know exactly what I would do with a Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. I think he's been thinking about it for a long time. And I think if he's going to take this on, it's because he knows how he would do Star Trek. And I don't think it becomes Jackie Brown in space. I don't think it becomes pulp science fiction. No, I don't think so either. But I, I think you're right about that. But I do think he would. The, the, we we have this idea of what Star Trek is, and I think it's a little too rigid. I think Tarantino would do exactly what you said, but he would break the the, the he would break the paradigm up, and he would do something with it we didn't expect. But he would still honor what you just said. The idea he would still it would still be. The spirit of Star Trek. It would just be, I think, I guess for better or for worse, the word modern. Here's here's my, be a modern here's my guess a... at what it would be. The Magnificent Seven with the offspring of Kirk. That's your guess? That's my guess. Okay. It's it's silly, but there's a lot of there's more than seven offspring, I imagine. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Um Mike Michael, where do you weigh in on the whole Tarantino of it all? Um I look, I I would 
I agree pretty much with everything that Rob said. I think he'd he'd bring a very you know needed perspective and 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 really shake up the franchise in, in a way it needs to. The most encouraging thing I've heard, as you guys were just saying, this is a film he has been thinking about for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that is what is encouraging to me, even more than the, the Quentin Tarantino, a very, you know, incredibly, right. one of the great creative minds in film of our generation has been thinking about a Star Trek movie for yeah, years. Right. What well, is it? You know? Um, but something else that occurred to me, I've, uh, you know, I, I think if we all had to predict at the end of this box office season, the number one film that you know is, might make two billion dollars this year is going to be the new Avengers film, mm-hmm. which uh, the head of the studio has more said in uh, several interviews borrows quite a bit right. from the final two part episode of Star Trek: The Next mm-hmm. Generation. Yes, all sir. good things. Right. Kevin Feige says all good things. Yeah. So you know that that other franchises, other universes, are able to take inspiration from these Star Trek stories and create a you know a billion dollar film out of it right star trek needs to do that with it with, with its own stuff <laughs> that's a good know? point but you know i have to say kevin feige is probably the only studio executive who even knows what all good things is and he reveres star trek i mean we met feige because he was a huge fan of free enterprise i right. mean that's when i first you know became friendly with him and the thing about him is he just he knows Star Trek. I mean, he name checks all good things in interviews about Avengers. That's crazy. But that brings me back to why I think Quentin's the right guy. I think the biggest problem Star Trek has often had is studio executives who give bad notes. Who don't, you know, it goes back to that Don Steele note on Star Trek Four. You know, we should subtitle what the whale is saying. Right. You know, it's kind of like that's ridiculous. Okay. Now in that case, Leonard was, you know, able to uh, rebuff that and Harve together. But a lot of times. You know, uh, these things are shaped by studio considerations and you have directors, you know, who, you know, like in the instance of the Star Trek four, this director that they were going to hire, she did not she wouldn't have the juice to fight City Hall. Right. She's a first time feature director. Um, She would have ultimately had a cowtail to the Ten Ton Gorillas, the the studio Mm -hmm. to Bad Robot. The thing about Quentin is no one can tell Quentin Tarantino what to do. Right. Again, it's that Woody Allen thing. He can do whatever he wants in, on a film. And so, you know, it, it, for whatever, it will be un-blemished. you know, blemished. It, it will not go through a blender. Right. It will be 100% original Quentin. So whether that's great or bad, you know, depends on your perspective. I'm so excited about that because we've never seen, uh, you know, an unfiltered Star Trek, which hasn't gone through the prism of either the studio or Gene or, you know, things. So to, to just see him, you know, unleashed off the hook and be able to do whatever he wants is is very exciting. You know, and maybe it'll, it'll be awful, but it won't be boring. Which also makes me wonder whether the studio will be able to go through with it. Mm. Because I think that they're scared like crazy. And I think that there are certainly factions there who... Do not want this to happen. Well, it's the same reason that back in, the, you know, when Spielberg was just, I'm mean, like, he's still huge. But when he was the biggest director on the planet, right. um, he wanted to direct a James Bond movie. Right. And, they, you know, Albert Broccoli wouldn't give him a James Bond movie. And later on, um, uh, you know, Wilson and, and, and Barbara wouldn't give him a James right. Bond movie because they didn't want to give somebody with that kind of power who could do whatever they wanted. Right. I mean, Spielberg wanted to do... Um, episode two and three, and Lucas wouldn't let him right. direct. So um, people don't want to cede that power. And 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 you're absolutely right. I'm sure there's, there's people at Paramount, Executive Paramount, maybe even Barrow, that don't want to give up that 
kind of power to somebody yeah. like Quentin where he can do whatever he wants. Right. But the difference is, is that, you know, the, Star Trek should be look what look what Nicholas Meyer did with Star Trek Two. Famously, he didn't know much about Star Trek. He Gene told him about Horatio Hornblower. He went back and watched these episodes. Jack Sowards had that script. He basically Nicholas Meyer came in and rewrote it the eleventh hour essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 he understood Star Trek is not that difficult to to get. And he uh, he understood and and it's not it wasn't the exact Star Trek. I mean. They're wearing pea coats on the Enterprise. You know, they they might as well have been in a conning tower on a on a on a submarine before it submerges. I mean, it was those right. the details. But were, the essential quality you know, of the of the, the characters, the core were values, there. the yeah. core values of Star Trek was were, were there. And and look what we got. We got we got conversations in Kirk's apartment in San Francisco when him and Doctor McCoy are 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 literally having a conversation in about Kirk's mortality, apartment. Yeah. You know about mortality and and. Who would have thought in Star Trek that would have been one of the most compelling conversations in a Star right. Trek movie? It's one of the great scenes in any of the Star Trek movies yeah. is just the two of them in his apartment. And how great was it? People forget how cool it was to see Kirk's apartment on Earth at the time. Right. The movies and his other- Commodore computer. Right. Commodore computer, exactly. But I mean, that's what Tarantino, Commodore would, Decker computer. Tarantino would give us that. I don't think Tarantino would be so – he understands that – you can, yeah, you'll get your effects. The effects will take care of themselves. Well, but what's really important is he wants characters to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That's his greatest strength. And and what he would give us is probably some of the great. Can you imagine the kind of what? Let's say Tarantino gave us a take on on Kirk going mano y mano discussing philosophy with a Klingon commander. Imagine that conversation. Imagine imagine Errand of Mercy written by Tarantino and mm-hmm. Barona and Kor are having a conversation walking down an Organian village street mm-hmm. or whatever. Imagine that scene. That's what he would give us. It wouldn't we wouldn't need hundreds of millions of dollars worth of visual effects. Huh. What we would get is we would get the core essence of what these characters are butting heads against other characters, other antagonists. Well, if you saw it that interview, glory. it would be glory. It's so interesting because he did say you know, they're having such trouble doing these movies. Just look at the original show. You could remake any of those episodes and it'd be a great movie. I, you know, I wonder if that's something that he's thinking about. Um, I, you know, I, if we have the audacity to give Quentin advice, and I think we can because we're the Inglorious Trexperts, um, <laughs> I would, you know, Some of us ask are just you guests here. What, you're inglorious. You're 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 an honorary member of the family. You've been on the show enough that uh, you're inglorious now. Um, I, I, you know, what recommendation would we give? I have my my note for Quentin on on uh, Siskel Niebuhr used to do this by the way I like this but I have one note that I would have look where um, they are now what nothing my my <laughs> they look where they are now we're all the same now so uh, <laughs> uh, but let me let me let me just say I I my note would be uh, th- this is the movie that I would use a composer on the only time he's ever used a composer was Enio mm-hmm. for uh, Hateful Eight you know he always piecemeal his scores from other scores and songs and stuff like that I feel that Star Trek needs a composer. You know, you need, uh, you know, I don't think you can do that kind of, you certainly don't want to just take, track it with music from other movies. No. And, you know, it certainly doesn't need songs. We don't need sabotage for the fourth time. Uh, all you know, due respect to the beasties who I love. But, um, you know, I, I would I would say, please hire a composer, you know, um, you know, and that would be my, you know, that's my big, my big thing, you know, for, for it. Rob, what, what do you, what do you think? What's your advice? Well, I, mean, I, I again, my advice to Quentin Tarantino would be just do what he does. I mean, again, I want to hear Quentin Tarantino writing Star Trek characters. That's and let him do what he. He'll take the the. You know, he would make a Star Trek movie where they would talk about 
the the big caper, they talk about the adventure, and you never actually see it, just like in Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about this heist. You never see the heist. You see the beginning, you see the, the pre-heist, and you see the aftermath of the heist. I would like to watch some galaxy-defining event that you never actually see. You hear about the lead-up to it, and then you hear about the aftermath. Hmm. But you just have these, this character interplay within the, the, the Star Trek universe, and that's what I would like to see. Like, I would like Get to off see, the ship. I mean, just... Yes. Oh, my God. And, and you don't need – I mean, the way they've set up – one of the things about modern Star Trek is they've made the bridge the most expensive place to shoot, mm-hmm. which is that's, – that, that shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have a, a bridge wherever, where you, wherever you point the camera. You the have visual, visual effects effect. going yeah. on yeah. all of the time, yeah. which means you're upping your production costs. Yeah. You're upping your production pipeline. It's insane to me. And while you're at they it, do this. engineering shouldn't be at a beer factory. No, I mean, that's why the sets, the, the brilliance, the genius of Star Trek, especially the original series, is is they use the view screen very sparingly. And most mm-hmm. of the time when you're looking at it dead on, it was a stock shot that yeah. they would just add in whatever right. they needed to say. Yes. I mean, the people producing Star Trek, and I, I include all of Bad Robot, do not know how to produce effective Star Trek. That's why they're too expensive. They're too expensive in the movies. They're too expensive every week on Discovery. There's nobody there that understands how to produce an effective, uh, uh, economically responsible version of Star Trek. And how do you really feel, Rob? So, Darren, <laughs> what about you? You know, I, I, think that, I think that if the Quentin Project happens, um, I think it will be a... I don't know if it's going to be fresh air. It'll be a breath of something that, uh. will, that, will, that will inflate Star Trek to... Something either it'll take off like helium, or it'll it'll you know it'll explode like the Hindenburg, like the Hindenburg. Oh, jeez, um, that's scary. It, but it it needs it needs someone with the the joy of Star Trek in their heart and the strength to be able to see their own vision through. And I think Quentin is that person, and I hope it happens. Um, I'm hoping. And you, Michael, what, are you, what, 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 what words of wisdom would you impart? I have a pitch. I have a pitch for a Star Trek movie. Do you remember the animated series episode, Jihad? Of I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's a great episode. And, I mean, they resolved some galaxy-threatening disaster in, like, 22 minutes, or however right. long that episode was. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that, that there's some kind of galactic emergency and some all-powerful group perhaps pulls out of time mm-hmm. various heroes from different generations. Right. New characters we've never met, but maybe, you know, Chris Pine is in there, and you get Jerry Ryan, and you get the holographic doctor, and Worf maybe, and you pull together. Kalis, you basically do it. Yeah, you get you you battle the network stars with Star Trek. You just bring yeah. out all the big celebrities, all the big Star Trek stars. Uh, or Avengers would be. The this Avengers. Is, this is the Avengers. This is the Avengers Star of Star Trek. That's what I'm going to do. And wasn't that, you know, I think wasn't that going to be the premise of uh, Rick Berman's IMAX film where he was going to bring in... Uh, all, you know, people from all the different casts, you know, for... Um, I mean, you'd have to, if you if you did it, and I'm sort of, you know, this is not entirely serious pitch, but, I mean, had Generations been actually, like, you know, really good, and there had been really... It, it, just imagine what those scenes between Patrick Stewart and Shatner could have been. Uh, how we've imagined. How we've imagined. <laughs> um, but... You mean, had they understand the characters? Yeah, exactly. Um, had it been done well. Had it been done well, and and again, looking at the the Marvel films, the, particularly the Avengers films, where you have these characters who are often often they're they're in their standalone movies, and then when you get them together for the very first time, 
mm-hmm. there's they spark and there's humor and yeah. it is we love those characters but it is the relationships and these are relationships we don't get to see on the TV shows because yeah. these characters don't intersect right. sure. existing in their in their own little bubbles um I, I don't know who the characters would be, but you know, uh, you, you, the, you, you have you have a whole you have fifty years to to choose from. Well, look, this is something that you know we've said. I've certainly said in the past that you know Star Trek needs it's Kevin Feige, so you know, and and you need this you know CBS and Paramount to be reunited. So there's there's one figure. So you're saying that we need a reunification. We need a reunification, yes, because <laughs> the reality is that if TV could work hand in hand with feature films under the aegis of someone who understands the appeal of Star Trek mm-hmm. and the history of Star Trek and respects it, th- th- I think that there is something really um, wonderful that could be done with the franchise. Well, don't they have that in Alex Kurtzman now? Isn't he the great bird of the galaxy now? I, th- I think that bird has flown the coop, actually. Well, it's, it's you know, I, I think we have a, this Picard series that's going into production next month. It's going to be very interesting. It seems to me that they're trying to take cues from, again, other franchises. They're basically making a Guardians of the Galaxy-type show yeah. with, with Picard. Oh, I heard that. Is that true? Oh, either, well, they've, yeah. yeah, he has this, like, a crew. Ragtag, motley, motley, motley crew, of, crew of, of space pirates and underdogs, drug-addicted, substance-abusing people. They've, yeah. they've, they've really put together... Uh, going dark, because, you know, dark is respected... You know, uh, uh, optimism is Pollyannish. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then, of course, uh, you know, and Data will be back as well, we've, we've heard recently. so Have we? Yeah, we have. Some of us have. Well, I mean, it'll be interesting because you can have Brett Spiner, you know, you just say Data wanted to make himself more palatable. After his destruction, he comes back. He goes, ah, I want to make myself look older to more. To blend I mean, I don't better. even know they'll deal with that nemesis mythology that d- d- Data was dead and it's now be something, but he has Data's memory, so it's the same yeah. person. I don't know, but Brent is, you know, it's, it's... it was CG, you know, right? They could, could do any him. character. Well, no, 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 but literally, you could create a CG character and sort of pretend that's what Data always looked We're like. We're talking you know? about cutting the costs, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I, you know, hey, my my whole philosophy, uh, you know, with all these shows is I always hope the next show will be the greatest show ever. Thanks for seeing it. I have uh, nothing but optimism and hopefulness that it'll be awesome, you know, and I, I hope that it is, and I look forward to it. Um, but, you know, right now uh, we're in a situation where the movie series is, is, is a precarious place, you know. Um, uh, you know, like you said, this this Quentin thing may be for headlines. It may never amount to anything. Who knows, you know, if the movie opens this summer. It may be nothing. And it's a, a, a huge, huge hit. He may want to do something else. He yeah. may not want to do Star Trek. He may be on to the next thing, or, or, or uh, um, you know, uh, you know, he's very fickle that way. I mean, he's announced a lot of things he never did: uh, the Vega Brothers, and um, you know, Kill Bill Part Three, mm-hmm. uh, and all this stuff that he says, you know, he wants to do. So Star Trek may just be another in a long line of, uh, you know, tantalizing uh, might have beens, what ifs, right. Well, rumor has it he's tying all of his movies together into one big universe. You've heard this in the last few years. Including days. the Star Trek. Well, yeah, if he does a Star <laughs> Trek movie, there you go. That's right. Yeah, this, uh, the stuntman in, in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the stuntman from Death Proof. Well, there you go. There we go. Great. Share- I just hope whoever makes the next movie makes it for the right reasons. Obviously, you yeah. know, show business. Everyone wants to make a film that makes money, but someone who does it out of love and passion, whether they're familiar with the franchise or not, they could be a Nick Meyer who is brand mm-hmm. new to it, but has a take on it and is excited by it. Just make it good. Just make it good. Just make, make it. it just care. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of sad. We've talked about this for forty-five minutes, but you know, it all comes down to one thing: just make it good. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that's all anyone wants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think uh, we all like to see another movie happen. We, we'd love to see it be great. Um, hopefully the person is out there and whether it's Quentin or somewhere, someone else, um, you know, we'll be there. They'll have our whatever it's going to be, $10, $12, $20. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, how much movies these days? Movies are too expensive these days. So the rent's too make high. them good. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, look, there, there, there's so much more to mine from the Star Trek universe. It's such a rich, rich, rich universe. You know, for all these shared universes, these things that are forced on us, whether it's Dark Universe with the, the Universal Horror movies or, you know, these other aborted uh, shared universes. Star Trek actually is there, it sits. This incredible. <laughs> rich universe with a, a complex canon and uh, um, so many great characters and 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 this wonderful uh, map or tapestry to explore and uh, hopefully somebody is going to be bold enough to uh, to explore it you know so boldly going anyway I want to thank uh, Robert and uh, Michael and uh, of course my uh, the, the wonderful and glorious host, uh, Darren Dockerman, for uh, joining us for another episode. And if you're a fan of the podcast, we hope you want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like 430 Movie and uh, Disco Nights, the ultimate Star Trek Discovery podcast, available Sundays wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as Best Movies Never Made, a terrific new show every uh, other Monday, um, which uh, in which host Jodorowsky Dune producer Steven Scarlatta and Sonic the Hedgehog screenwriter Josh Miller talk about uh, with directors and filmmakers about the movies that got away, the ones they never made. I mean, who knows? Uh, there's so many interesting Star Trek projects. We talked about some of them. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll talk about more. If you enjoyed uh, this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and you can follow us at Inglorious Trek on Twitter at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram and if you want some really great Inglorious Trexperts logo wear like Bill Ritter is wearing right now you can't <laughs> see him but trust us when we He's tell there. you he is looking good he is <laughs> styling you can get that at IngloriousTrexperts.com or if you can't spell that GloriousTrek.com. Either way, you get to the same place. Uh, you know, in fact, want to shout out to uh, recently on social. I think Homer Frizzell uh, was spotted in New York wearing an Inglorious Trexperts uh, uh, T-shirt, and uh, he was getting all the ladies. You could tell. You could well, tell they were just so happened. attracted the to the shirt. I, I mean, I, I didn't have any pictures with any women, but I have a feeling <laughs> that he was like, uh, you know, a chick magnet. Um, also, a very uh, so a very special thanks to here everyone here at Electric uh, producer Natalie Mascali, of course Dean Devlin, uh, Bill Ritter for buying the shirt, and yeah. uh, and uh, everybody works cheap. So he went out and bought his own shirt. We didn't give it to him, <laughs> and uh, you know such is the podcast business. So until uh, next Saturday, uh, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Shh. Engage. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.